Today's podcast is going to be different than most weeks. So most weeks, what you're hearing is the audio from my sermon preached at Central Baptist Church live. But today's a little different, and I'll give you a brief explanation of why. This past week, we had some of the coldest weather that we have in South Georgia. Now, if you're not from South Georgia, you may laugh at us, but when it gets to 30 degrees in South Georgia, that is emergency level cold for us. And it was really cold here. That Sunday morning when we got up to uh, come to church, I realized that the heat in our sanctuary building was not working and the room temperature was hovering around 53 degrees. And for us, that was too cold, too unbearable to be in the room. So we made a last minute decision to move into another section of our building that had heat for that particular Sunday. But the consequence of that was that there was no live broadcast and no audio or video recording of the sermon. Normally when I don't have a current sermon to post for the podcast, I go back in my archives and grab one that's never been posted before. But because this Sunday was Sanctity of Life Sunday, I wanted to choose something uh, that on that subject. In fact, I thought about choosing an old Sanctity of Life Sunday sermon that I had preached, but I'm going to try something. Maybe this comes off well, maybe it comes off awkward. We'll, we'll find out in short order. But I thought instead of playing an old sermon from years past, I would take this past week's sermon and, uh, and just talk with you, just me and the microphone, and just talk with you through the passage. I was preaching from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Uh, Let me read that passage to you, and then we'll walk through uh, my sermon notes together. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Each year on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade decision of the United States Supreme Court that legalized abortion, Churches all across the nation participate in Sanctity of Life Sunday. On this day, we give special attention to the biblical truth of sanctity of life and preach and pray for God to bring an end to the wickedness of abortion. Last year, when I preached on Sanctity of Life Sunday, the United States Supreme Court had recently overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. We recognized then that though this was a great victory for life, the battle would continue in the state legislators. Now, a year later, the reality and intensity of this battle are well known. And I am reminded that true victory for life will not come through legislation or court battles, but with true and convictional heart change. In the political arena, the abortion battle focuses on legal definitions of when life begins In the courts, the battles are over when rights are endowed, what mitigating factors and circumstances change the calculus, and whose will takes precedence 
over others. I have heard political pundits pronounce with great confidence in recent months that being pro-abortion is a winning issue for politicians. And while this may be true in the current political climate, I have also been encouraged to have conversations with others who have been swayed by faithful biblical preaching. As such, I am more convinced than ever that the only way we will have victory in this issue is to continue to make our case according to the Word of God. The sanctity of life for Christians is not a political issue. The sanctity of life for Christians is a convictional issue that before the Lord, every human life is made by God and holy before God. A natural response to ugly and upsetting realities is to turn away and avoid the issue. The killing of babies is ugly and upsetting, but we cannot turn away nor turn a deaf ear to the cries of the innocent. So I want to give you a statistical picture of abortion in in the United States. Since 1973 through 2020, which is, I think, the latest numbers for this, the total number of abortions in the United States has been 63.6 million 204 abortions per every 1,000 live births, according to the Centers of Disease Control. That means that there are abortion, abortions per 100 pregnancies, according to the Guttmacher Institute, is 20.3. The, 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 the numbers that break my heart the most is that in 2020, there were 930,160 abortions, which works out to be approximately... 2,500 abortions a day, 106 abortions an hour, and one abortion every 34 seconds, each of those representing a life made in the image of God. In 2020, 20.6% of pregnancies ended in abortion. Those numbers break my heart, but And everything about abortion is wicked, but one of the more insidious elements of abortion in the United States is the racial and social economic dynamic to it. So just a statistic that ought to sit heavy with us. Of the U.S. total female population between the ages of 15 and 44, uh, whites make up 72.9%. And blacks make up 15.1%. But of the percentage of abortions... Black abortions work out to be 41.5%. 41.5% of all abortions from 15.1% of the, of the population. It's no secret that abortions are targeted to, just look at the where the, the clinics are located, to ethnic communities and poor communities. Now, I share with the church that I intend to proclaim God's word faithfully and clearly. And the reality is, and every preacher must wrestle with the truth, that God does not ignore sin, and neither should we. There is no freedom in turning a blind eye to sin. However, I I do understand that speaking to my church and, and on this podcast, there are some listening who have had an abortion or maybe encouraged another to have an abortion or politically supported legalized abortion. And I want you to hear carefully that my intention is not to condemn, but rather to declare God's holiness and forgiveness found in Jesus and the hope of being made new in Christ. No matter your past or the greatness of your sin, 
Jesus can redeem and make new. My hope today is that you would be convicted today by God's word and be drawn to the mercy that is found only in the cross of Jesus. The hope of the gospel is that as it confronts our sin and exposes our wickedness, that it also draws us to forgiveness and salvation that is found only in Jesus. So today I'm sharing from Psalm 139. It's a Psalm of David, and it's a powerful word on the omnipresence of God and the hope, conviction, and holiness that his omnipresence brings to our life. Now, omnipresence means that God is present everywhere, no matter where you go. In verses 13 through 16 of the Psalm, that those verses come in the context of David rejoicing and marveling that God knows everything about him. Let me read to you uh, some verses that preceded this. So in verses, beginning in verse six of this Psalm, it says, such knowledge, meaning that God knows everything about him and everywhere that he is. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is, it is high. I cannot obtain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Continuing this thought, David declares the glorious truth of verses 13 through 16 that... Every human life is the glorious masterpiece of God and that every human life is known by God, the intentional work of God, and is a testimony to his glory. So from this passage, I want to share these two simple points. Number one, every life is known by God. And number two, every life is the work of God. So beginning with every life is known by God. In this Psalm, David marvels at the amazing truth that God knows him. In the first verse, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. In the sixth verse, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The more important someone is and the more people they interact with, the less personal knowledge they have with of the people they, they meet. If you were to meet a well-known performer, national politician, or professional athlete, you may take a selfie with them and remember the details of the interaction for years to come, but the person you met is unlikely to recall your name moments or minutes after your interaction. It is impossible for any person to remember everyone they meet or invest the time to know everyone they come in contact with. And the more uh, influential or important you are, the more people you meet, the less knowledge you have of those that you interact with uh, on a daily basis. David marvels at the thought that God knows him intimately, the, the God of all of creation, the God who knows all things and has existed for all time. He knows who he is and where he is and what he's thinking and what he has done and what he's doing and what he will do. In verse 13, David declares that God's knowledge of him did not begin 
with his birthday, but from his conception. The reality of this world is that some lives are judged as ignorable and unseeable. The lives legally extinguished in abortion clinics or by taking of pills for medication abortions are the most ignored and unseen lives among us. Great efforts today are employed to use language that attempts to hide the fact that abortion is the taking of a human life. In preparation for this sermon, I went to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists website, and I found there a page titled Guide to Language and Abortion. And on that page, it has terms that you should avoid, its reasoning for why those terms should be avoided, and then suggested terms to use. Here are a few. It suggested to avoid the term heartbeat bill, referring to legislating legislation restricting abortions after a baby's heartbeat is detected. And the reason it gave was that the ultrasound machine is translating electronic impulses of cardiac activity, not actual sound. And it suggested the term uh, gestation age bands. Another term it is suggested to avoid were the terms of baby, unborn, unborn child, or preborn child. The reason it gave was concerning the language on a future state of a pregnancy is medically inaccurate. As long as the pregnancy continues, the language should reflect the current state of the pregnancy. And it suggested the terms uh, embryo and after eight weeks, uh, the, use the word fetus. Uh, and then it, one of the other terms it, it, it said to avoid was the term womb. And the reason was is this is a non-medical term that can be used to apply an emotional value to a human, and I thought this was interesting, human organ. And it suggested the term uterus. Now, though this guide is presented as only concerned with medical objectivity, this guy's real purpose is to hide the fact that abortion takes a human life. I would point you to the fact that the eternal word of God is unashamed of using the vocabulary of womb and baby to speak of the life of a child before birth. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant herself with John, the Bible records their meeting with this account. And listen to the words that the Bible uses. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 41, and it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Regardless of race, wealth, competency of the parents, size of the family, the details of conception, or the legal permissions of the state, every life is known to God. It is seen, it is known, and it is precious to the Lord. Every life is known to God, therefore every life is precious to God. As David marvels at the thought that God knows him so intimately, he declares that every life is precious to the Lord. In verse 13 is the declaration of truth that God knew you before from the moment of conception. Verse 14 connects the knowledge of God with the value of life, how precious it is to the Lord. The, the, the phrase is fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully is a word that can mean to be afraid, but not in the sense of afraid of something of harm, but in, uh, afraid in the sense of 
interacting with something that is awesome or 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 great or beyond you. The the fear of the Lord is this idea. So fearfully and then wonderfully. The word wonderfully means to be separate or distinct, separate and unlike the rest. Life is not an accident of chance. Life is not according to the will of man. Life is not under the authority or the mastery of man. Life comes from the sovereignty and authority of God. Man is made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Therefore, every life bears his image and is precious in the sight of God. Christians cannot see others or value life according to the metrics of this world. Christians must see others and value every life according to the image of God that they bear. Christians must see every life as precious to the Lord. Secondly, every life is the work of God. David is making it clear that God created him and God creates us. David recognizes that the creation of life is the work of God. Verse 13 declares that God formed my inward parts. The words that form this phrase are interesting. Uh, The word formed, that's translated as formed, means uh, to buy or to acquire, but it also means owner or possessor. And then the word that is translated as inward parts literally means kidney. Now, it can also mean feelings or innermost being, but but the literal translation of these words is possessor of my kidneys. Now, in English, we read formed my inward parts as a statement about the activity of God's creation. This certainly is true and a faithful understanding of the text, but David is saying something even more intense than uh, a statement about Uh, God's creative activity. He's saying that his most inward parts, even the parts of him that he does not fully understand or know himself, are the possession of God. And it's it's it's, it's important to understand that God has not taken possession of your inward parts, but rather God has possession or ownership of your inward parts because as the creator, he possesses all things. God's ownership gives a greater understanding of David's prayer in the final two verses of this psalm. In verse 23 and 24, David asked God to search him and know his heart. He's asking God to search what he possesses and owns to see if there is anything that is contrary to the will of the owner. It is important for us to understand that abortion is not first a crime against humanity. Now, it is a crime against humanity, but it's not first a crime against humanity. Abortion is a rebellion against the sovereignty of God and a rejection of the rightful possession of his creation. We are created by God, and we are created with purpose and value. Every life has intrinsic value. One of the wicked things this world does is to value some lives over others or to devalue some lives. But God puts no limits on who is an image bearer or fearfully and wonderfully made. 
from the biblical perspective, all life is holy before God, not because of the value that men ascribe to a particular person, but because every life is an image bearer. Every human life is an image bearer of God. All human life is holy and intrinsically value, valuable. So that applies to everyone regardless of particulars. So every life is holy and intrinsically valuable. That includes the drug addict, the homeless, the poor, the mentally ill, the old, the very old, the sick, the very sick, the physically disabled, the, the baby born into a terrible po- poverty, the, the baby conceived in sinful circumstances, the baby conceived in abusive and horribly broken circumstances. It's important for us to articulate this as well. Neither the sin of the parents nor the sinful details of the conception have a bearing on the value and worth of a baby. Every baby, every life, every human life has value because every human life is made in the image of God and made by God. In verse 16, David declares that in addition to intrinsic value at conception, every human life has purpose. Listen to what he writes in verse, 13, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows every one of your days. It's important that you not diminish this truth. The wicked view of man is to assign value and purpose to lives that are celebrated by man, and usually that celebration comes from a life that is uh, long or in some way uh, has value to what men love or produces something that men love. The wicked view of man is to assign assign value and purpose to lives that are celebrated by men, Uh, but, but lives that are uncelebrated by man are often judged as purposeless and valueless. So in our current context, in that that secular view, lives that are considered purposeless or valueless are lives of babies that only live a few hours or minutes. The lives of a baby born with severe mental disabilities, the the life of a baby born with with profound physical disabilities. But verse 16 is not about the celebration of man or even the appreciation of man. Verse 16 is a testimony to the sovereignty of God. Every life has purpose according to the sovereignty of God. No matter the number or length of days, no matter the physical ability or inability, and no matter the mental ability or inability. Now, I recognize that the reality of the sinful brokenness of this world means that those who make the life and death decision concerning aborting a baby often are under extreme pressure to do so. So I want to close with a story. And I want to tell you the story of Aubrey, not her real name. She writes about her experience with abortion. She had just turned 16 years old in 2011 when she got pregnant. She waited a month before telling her parents. When she did, they immediately pressured her to have the child aborted. Her parents were angry and told her that she was not going to make this mistake and that they did not want to be grandparents to the child. 
Her parents gave her an ultimatum. She could have an abortion or leave their home. She didn't want to leave her home, be separated from her boyfriend, or attend a new school, but but the pressure was growing. The day after telling her parents, her boyfriend and his parents came over to her house and pressured her to have an abortion because they said the child was going to wreck everyone's life. She wanted to seek adoption for her baby, but she was given no support for this option. Her boyfriend had initially supported her desire to adopt the baby, but but gave in to the pressure of his parents and eventually pressured her to get an abortion. Her mother made an appointment at Planned Parenthood. Aubrey wrote of this experience with these words, I will never forget having to wake up at 5 a.m. to get there for an 8 a.m. appointment to do something I did not want to do. But I felt like I had no choice. My mom told me they would do an ultrasound and that I was not to look at it because she didn't want me to know what was there. I didn't want the abortion. It was my baby, and I stopped fighting for it. I never should have done it. After the abortion was over, she went home and cried. Because she had submitted to her father's desire, he welcomed her home with a hug, but it was of no comfort to her. She wrote anonymously on an online platform about her experience a few months after aborting her baby. She felt trapped and unable to push back against the pressure. She felt guilty and heartbroken for the baby she had aborted. She concluded with a plea for other girls who are pregnant and being pressured to have an abortion to keep their babies with these words. She said, abortion does not make a baby go away. It just makes a dead baby. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, all around us are people like Aubrey who feel like they have no other options People like Aubrey's parents, boyfriend and boyfriend's parents who only see how a pregnancy affects their lives but never stop to ponder the consequences of taking the life of another who is made in the image of God. We must make the case for the sanctity of human life in the courts, in the houses of legislation, in our communities and among our friends and family. Beyond making the case for the sanctity of life, we must also find ways to help those who are in need to choose life. As I said from the beginning, sanctity of human life, working against the scourge of abortion is not political for us. It is convictional according to the word of God. I hope this has been helpful for you. And I hope God has used this to press into your own life, thinking more biblically about the sanctity of human life. Until next week, God bless.
Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.